0: Welcome, welcome to another episode of You Press Play Sports. This is episode 10 or 11. I think they've hit double digits, guys. It's got to be a celebration. We got to do something crazy. Uh, Woo! Thank you for being with us. Woo! Woo! We've been here for 10 episodes. Thank you for being here with us with all of our shenanigans, talking about keg stands and Voltron and Super... Red. Big Red. Thank you for being a part of it. Uh, my name is Joseph Acosta. I'm joined by sports editor Richard Pereira, photo editor Essen Parker. Essen, how are you doing today?
1: Doing pretty well. How are y'all?
0: I'm doing well. How about you, Richard? Do it, doing great.
2: I <laughs> went to watch the doubleheader from Sunday. It was great.
0: Yep, yep, yep. And we're going to start with FAU baseball, playing that team down south. It's always good to get some victories against team down south, and FAU took three out of four in the home series with FIU, winning 12 to two in seven innings. They lost six to one in the second game, but then won nine to eight in the third game and won three to one in the fourth game. So I want to talk a little bit about that nine to eight game. The Sunday night, it was a night, it was a nine inning game, walk off. Richard, you were at that game. What, what did you see from
2: FAU? Well, it had its ups and downs. Uh, It started off with a down with FIU going up first, like four zero. And then FAU in the same inning responded with six runs Since, since after that first inning, it was just back and forth on who could actually get a hit or who pit, who can pitch better. It, it, that's the main reason it went down to the wire and it, it took extra innings to settle the matter of who would get the win and luckily for us FU got the W the the second game of the doubleheader it was just a great defensive performance by the Owls, specifically by Javi Rivera who had who struck out eight batters he played the entire game Threw the ball 100, pitched the ball 117 times, and struck out eight batters. He was just clutch on the mound. Like, yep, a great performance from him.
0: Yeah, really. for Javi Rivera, that moves him to five and zero on the season. Every time he's pitched, FAU is one. That's that's a good luck charm. If Javi's on the mound, you can pretty much chalk it up for a victory. Esten, I want to talk to you about the uh series in general? What did you what did you see from FAU getting? I believe this was. They won three out of four in the home stretch against FIU, and then won three out of four in the away stretch against FIU. So they won six out of eight games against that team from that team down south. It's always good to get get a rivalry game, get win a rivalry series in the fashion that FAU did. What did you see from FAU in these past two series?
1: Resilience. I mean, as you. Uh... As you all have mentioned they were some pretty tight games, um, especially the last two. I mean, to uh, be able to keep that in that um, in the first game of the doubleheader, I mean, for it to be that close and then to pull away in that in the last inning like that, that's something you really want to see. Um, and you can tell that you, you're we starting to see them rebound, especially after that old Dominion series, they're they're eight and four since that series so um with obviously a majority of the wins coming against that other miami team um and i it's it's really encouraging especially as we're starting to enter tournament time and even looking forward to next season um you know starting to build a little more momentum and proving that both The pit both we we knew for the longest time that, you know, hitting would probably not be a problem for this team, but now we're starting to see everything start to click more consistently, which is a really good sign at this time of the year.
0: Yep. And one of the things that I noticed was the pitching is starting to come around, you know, um, like in the nine, eight extra inning game, there were a stretch of times during that game where FIU had the chance to score, but the pitching closed the door on them. Uh, Dante Visconti picking up the win in that uh, game against FIU. But we have to shout out, you know, um, Matt Fernandez, who pitched, um, or not Matt Fernandez, excuse me, uh, Jackson Spiller, Sam, Sam Drew Miller, Bryson Allen, those guys came through when they needed when we needed it most there were times during that game where it was like FAU was going to lose a close one as FAU was lost before but the pitching came through and that's something that I've noticed with that with these stretches against FIU is the pitching has come through when they needed it to and going into tournament play that's something you definitely need you need a guy like Javi Rivera who's 5-0 and on the season and you can Pretty much get a good start from for every game he's on the mound. So this is going to be a huge momentum swing for FAU. I feel it. Getting six out of eight going into two more series and one more game against Miami, the real Miami team before conference pl- conference tournament play. This is getting gearing up for all the momentum in the world. So FAU is going to be playing next on Friday, May seventh at Western Kentucky. That's Mm -hmm. going to be on Conference USA TV. Then we have the series Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And then on May 14th through 16th, they'll play Southern Miss, and they'll finish out the regular season on May 18th at Miami. So we're going to move on into FAU Owls and the NFL. For the first time in three years, there has been no FAU player drafted into the National Football League, but we saw two players get signed by NFL football teams and undrafted free agency. Linebacker Lee McCarthy signed with Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and B.J. Emmons signed with the Seattle Seahawks. So for our Seahawks and Buccaneers fans who are listening, Richard, kind of give them a quick overview of what these players are going to bring, specifically B.J. Emmons.
2: Well, for B.J. Emmons, despite the limited game time uh, on the field, he does have a good running ability he knows how to run the ball very well he is efficient when given the chance that while the Seahawk while he may not have that many opportunities at first when he gets on the Seahawks if he does take advantage of what he does get he can really go further into a pop into possibly having a better career as a as a Seahawk or maybe on another team should the Seahawks let him go after one season. But Emmons does have that have a good ability as a running back. As for Leighton McCarthy, despite his size at the linebacker position, he is he is great. He is a great he is a great player to have on the defensive end of the field. Like as one of FEU's best linebackers. He knows how to tackle opponents. He knows how to, he knows how to get them sacks. Uh, he knows how to sack the quarterback. He is overall a very good linebacker to have on that team. Whether, while well, my question is whether they should have entered this draft, that, that can be debated. Like They could have played another year to show what they're really capable of before declaring for the draft, but they still got signed to an NFL team, so best of luck to them.
0: Yeah, and with Leighton McCarthy, it actually kind of uh, is the de- declaration draft going to the Bucks might actually help him in the long run because he's kind of a tweener. You know, he's not big enough to play on the edge like a Shaquille Barrett, but I think the Bucks are going to want to be able to see what he can do at off at linebacker off the ball, such as Devin White or Levante David. Eston, what do you think the future holds for Leighton McCarthy? Where where do you see his best fit as a player?
1: Um. I can see him more as uh, probably either as an outside linebacker or a DN more of a Swiss army knife type player. I, I hate to use that term, but um, it's, it kind of fits him because he's a versatile player. And I think that playing not only with a very good, under a very good defensive system with Todd Bowles, but um assuming he can get a roster spot or at least a practice squad spot being with guys like um, Shaquille Barrett or Levante David, being with guys like JPP, I mean, he likely isn't going to get a ton of playing time if he makes the team. But to be around those guys, that's invaluable. You know, that experience is going to get – he's probably going to be able to pick up techniques from them. Hopefully, we can see him on the field this season. Um, and if he does make the team – on defense, uh, that, that that just speaks to his sheer ability. That defense really is stacked.
0: <laughs> yeah, and with Lee McCarthy, like I said, I think his best move is to play off-ball linebacker. I don't think adding weight to his frame, I don't want to hamper his speed. But I think he's going to start off immediately as a special teamer if he makes a team. He'll be able to learn and develop under guys like Avante David and Devin White on that Buccaneers defense. The first year he probably won't see that much playing time. But B.J. Emmons, thing that stands out is contact balance. He's very light on. He's very light on his feet. Doesn't go down easily. But he just got to stay healthy, man. If he's healthy, then yeah, he could probably get a roster spot. Probably play special teams. But he's got to stay healthy. That's his biggest thing. But we're going to use that to transition into the NFL draft talk. This is one of my favorite times of the year. And I want to ask you guys, who do you think had the best draft? I know it's kind of weird to talk best draft, especially considering it just happened. We haven't even seen these guys in their uniforms yet. So (laughs) I'll start with you, Esten. Who do you think had the best draft?
1: One team that uh, off the top of my head, other than my dolphins, not gonna talk about the dolphins too much here, even though I love Jalen waddle. He's gonna waddle past defenses. But um the Ravens, they they definitely got a lot better and and so did honestly the Panthers. I, I think that um, they're starting to build a more rounded team, um, getting a guy, like Terrence Smart for Sam Darnold is going to hopefully help him in the receiving game. Um, getting, getting my guy, JC Horn from USC. I think that's a great pick for them. He's a very talented cornerback. He was one of the only bright spots for South Carolina in what was a, a pretty tough uh, 2020 season. Um, and I, another team I think that really improved in the draft was the dolphins. I mean, all you know, all bias aside, I mean, I, I think the Jalen Waddle pick is pretty decent. Um, he creates it he'll be hopefully can create some more separation for guys like Devontae Parker and Mike Siki and even someone like Will Fuller. Um Jalen Phillips gives you an opposite edge rusher of Emmanuel Ogba. Um and if Phillips can stay healthy, I don't wanna put this amount of expectations on the dude but he has a similar build to Jason Taylor. And if he, in in he was the number one recruit coming out of high school and he has some freak talents, but that's if he can stay healthy. And I, hopefully with considering the improvements that we've seen with the Dolphins over the past couple seasons, I think that the Jalen Phillips pick can actually be a, probably the, biggest pick of the draft for that team so
0: and Richard uh we'll go from winners to losers who do you think had some very questionable draft choices this year
2: (coughs) well I'm not sure on a specific loser uh team that I would say had the most interesting pick would probably be the Patriots with Mac Jones I won't criticize Mac Jones too much because he is good but he is an interesting pick that the Patriots made. Maybe as a weight. <laughs> he looks like. <laughs> I do see Mac Jones. He can learn under cam Newton. Uh, Newton can give him the veteranship that the mentorship that Mac Jones needs to improve as a quarterback down the road later into his career. But Mac Jones is definitely an interesting pick that the Patriots made. I
0: would like to see where they go with that moving forward. So I definitely hear you with winners and losers. Uh, my winners are actually the Detroit Lions. Um, the most important thing for a first-year coach, especially with their first draft, is to find a culture and build a culture through the players that they get. The Lions culture is, we're, we might not win a lot of games, but we're going to kick your teeth in. We're going to make you eat glass, and you're going to like it. Drafting Panay Sewell first round, that's building that offensive line. Panay Sewell's best offensive lineman in this draft class. I think he's a perennial pro bowler. They are going to take the kneecaps off of other teams' players, whether it be by force or they just give them to him. Um, another pick that I really liked that they had was Amon Ross Brown in the fourth round. He's not the fastest. He's not the biggest. He's not the strongest, but he's tough. He's going to block for you. He's got to take those physical routes over the middle. This team is going to be built on toughness. Drafting Aleem McNeil and Levi on Wuzurike, two defensive tackles who play different styles. One's more of a nose tackle. One's more of a penetrating three technique. They both play with high motors, high intensity. They're going to try and kill you. They're going to try and punch you in the face. They're going to eat kneecaps. They're going to bite ears off. And I can see what they're building. That's the biggest thing with a first-year head coach. You have to be able to see what they're building through the players. Now, a team that I really don't think had a very good draft at all, a team that I think kind of fumbled the bag a little bit, I didn't like the Cincinnati Bengals draft. I really didn't. Passing on Panay for Jamar Chase when your quarterback had an ACL injury that kept, that kept him out, I wouldn't have done that. And then going and reaching in the second round for a guard prospect who was probably less refined than the other interior offensive linemen on the board, I still think it was questionable, especially considering there are other good receivers there. And you could have had Panay Sewell. So I, just, I guess I'm just kind of questioning their processing a little bit with why they did that, what, what they did that for. Another team that I think kind of lost this draft is the, uh, the Houston Texans. Hmm. And really, I think it's drafting Davis Mills and Nico Collins. Nico Collins is a fine player. Trading up for him is a little questionable, but he adds something that the Texans receiver room doesn't have. And it's the fact that he's over six feet tall. Davis Mills, drafting him with your first pick signifies that the Deshaun Watson era in Houston is probably over. And we probably knew it was over from everything that's going on with him off the field, but we knew he wasn't going to come back. as He didn't want to play quarterback for them. So their their loss was more in drafting Davis Mills, who I think was – he's very limited. He only had 11 starts. He's really a pocket-only passer. Good luck to him. And then, yeah, it's just those guys really made some questionable moves. Before we move on to the NBA, we got to talk about something else that happened in the NFL, guys. I don't know if you guys have heard, but Aaron Rodgers is going scorched earth on the Green Bay Packers. He requested a trade – or not requested a trade, but he said he would not play for the Packers in 2021. Today it came out that he said he – or yesterday came out that he said that he wanted the GM fired. And today it was the reason why was because they released Jake Kumaro, who in his career has 344 receiving yards. Either this is 4D chess or the pettiest thing ever from Aaron Rodgers. So, Esten, I want to ask you, how do you see this ending for Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers?
1: From from all the reports – I, I think that it's, it's not looking too good. I, I think he's going to be out um, by at some point before opening day. Um, I think that the Packers trade him after. I think it's June 1st or July 1st. The amount of money that they have to pay him um, drops significantly. I think that they're waiting for a certain date and obviously a certain offer. But the, what I've been thinking is who at this point, and I understand it's Aaron Rodgers and he is a once in a generation type quarterback, but I don't know what team he's going to go to other than, let's say, a Denver or, uh, and even then, if you're Denver, I get it. You go all in for Aaron Rodgers. And of course, if you're John Elway, of course, what does he do best? He picks up quarterbacks that are really good when they want out of their old team because he can't actually draft a good quarterback let's be serious here so um if rogers goes to the broncos if i'm teddy bridgewater i'm pretty pissed why so he's not good I mean,
0: <laughs> he
1: was teddy bridgewater play, wasn't gonna, he
0: wasn't gonna play anyway he'll probably start over drew Locke, but like congrats the thing that Vic Van- Vic Fangio wants is he don't want a quarterback that'll turn the ball over. Teddy Bridgewater doesn't do that, except for the times when he does in late game situations, and it makes Vic Fangio want to strangle him. But I think Aaron Rodgers. I think there's no way he plays for Green Bay in 2021. He either sits out or he's on a new team. I think this is this relationship has severed ever since they drafted the quarterback in the first round, and. They addressed the wide receiver position in the the draft this year. Selecting Amari Rodgers, who's a very good complement to that offense and to Devontae Adams, it's a very good pick. But I don't think that's bringing Aaron Rodgers back. And I think the most likely option is Denver because Denver drafted Patrick Sertan with the ninth overall pick. They're ready now. That wide receiver core might be ready now. That defense can get ready under Vic Fangio. They just need the quarterback. And if they don't end up getting uh, Aaron Rodgers, then why'd you pass on Justin Fields? They ha- That's why I think they drafted Sertan instead of Fields, because they knew they had a real shot at landing Aaron Rodgers. So you got to go do it now. The other team that I think should be involved in this and might be involved in this is the Las Vegas Raiders. John Gruden has spoken at length about how he should have taken Aaron Rodgers, how he wished he would have had Aaron Rodgers to coach, how he should have picked him when he was coming out of the draft. Now he's going to have that chance. Derek Carr isn't moving the needle. They addressed the offensive line through the draft. They don't have the receiving weapons that Denver has. And they don't have the defense that Denver has, but Las Vegas could be another option. I just think that that relationship is over. I don't think there's a chance Rogers plays in 2021 for Green Bay, at least. But we're going to move on into the NBA. And yesterday, Uh, LeBron is back AD is back the Lakers are supposed to look like death machine right wrong they lose to the Toronto Raptors and after the game the Lakers are sitting seventh currently in the play-in game LeBron says the play-in game whoever came up with the play-in game should be fired so Richard I want to ask you your thoughts on the whole play-in game scenario what do you think is it a good idea is it a bad idea are players just now making uh, open comments about how they don't like it because they're in that spot? What do you think?
2: Well, I think while well, I generally agree with the plan, I, I think it's a little bit of everything. I do agree that it's just players complaining about how they're in the plan when they weren't in it for most of the season, but they're now in it because they suffered a bad slump of losses throughout the basketball games. I do think that the play-in does need a few adjustments after this season. While I do agree with the general format, it should be adjusted to where no teams with a winning percentage under 400 get in. Like you have to be at, within a certain games behind, uh, insert ninth place team here in order to actually qualify for the play-in because you can't be a, like, say uh the Sacramento Kings or the Cleveland Cavs or Detroit Pistons or Orlando Magic and somehow qualify for the 10th seed because you were the 10th seed by default. No, you have to have a certain winning percentage in order to qualify for the play-in. That's the main adjustment I think the NBA should make in regards to the play-in. As for that, I agree with it. For When it comes to the Lakers, they do have a... It's a tricky situation. The last couple of games involve very tough games against top teams in the NBA, like the Suns, the Clippers, and the up-and-coming Knicks, and and the rest of the teams that I haven't mentioned. But it's going to be a tough tough road for the Lakers as they conclude their season. So,
0: Esten, I want to kind of ask you, a lot of players are mad about this play-in especially LeBron and Luka Doncic. Do you think that anger is kind of warranted considering the kind of season that the NBA has had with injuries, um, the amount of games? Do you think that anger for the playing game is warranted?
1: Um, I feel like if it wasn't – I mean – if you're LeBron in the Lakers, I kind of understand his frustration after not really having much of an offseason. Um, and it's been a really long and frustrating season for him. But at the same time, you knew it was gonna be this way coming in to the season, and you had you've had the whole season to put yourself in a position so you wouldn't have to be in a play-in game. And I get it. You can't deal with, you know, you can only deal so much with injuries and in other, um, you know, not in other factors, but you have a problem with it when you're game. So you're not in the position. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I understand they're frustrated and, you know, because the system suddenly changed like this, but guess what? The game. You got to You got to you get, yeah, you gotta win. And if we were to take the uh, current
0: play-in standings right now in the Western Conference, the Lakers will play the Grizzlies to see who gets the seven seed. Then the Warriors will play the Spurs to see who is eliminated from playoff contention. Then the winner and the loser, uh, the loser of Lakers Grizzlies, will play the winner of Warriors Spurs to see who gets the eighth seed. That's for the Western Conference. For the Eastern Conference, currently. The Celtics will play the Hornets to see who gets the seven seed. The loser will play the winner of Pacers Wizards. Hey, man. I know we do this all the time on here, but it never gets old. The Heat lost to the Bulls last week. I was at that game. And they still have a better record than the Celtics. They're still higher in the standings. The Heat have a chance to move up to 5, to the 5 seed, if the Hawks lose tonight. I'm just saying, man, the Celtics are too talented to be the seven seed. But you know what? They're going to draw the Nets. If the Celtics were to win their playing game, they would draw the Nets in the first round. That would be a heck of a series. That'd be fun to watch. Um, So, like, if the playoffs ended today in the Eastern Conference, you get Sixers, Hornets, Nets, Celtics, Bucks, Heat, and then Knicks, Hawks. I honestly think that Eastern Conference is kind of good. It it's a that's a good playoff lineup. <laughs> For the Western Conference, you'd have Suns, Grizzlies, Jazz, Lakers, Nuggets, Blazers, and then Clippers, Mavericks. Getting Clippers, Mavericks again after Luka did what he did in the bubble. Would just be pure irony. And then the Lakers being a seven seed would be fun. I'm not gonna go as far as what Richard's saying that the East is good when the Knicks are good. I won't go that far. The East is good when the players and the teams are good. The Knicks don't have to be good for the said, East to be good. <laughs> but yeah. The East the Knicks make the East more marketable. Yeah. But I don't know, man. If the season were to end today and the playoffs were to start, which team do you think would be in the most trouble in terms of their seeding and who they'd be facing? Uh, Richard?
2: From the West, I'd say the Lakers, if they remain in the situation that they're they're in. Unless they close out the remaining part of their season, they're going to have a hard time Going through the the playoff bracket in their conference, they're gonna have to face against the Jazz, the Nuggets, the Clippers, and and the Suns. The Suns are competing for that top spot in the conference, so you have to watch out. The for
0: Suns that. are in the playoffs, regardless of what happens the rest of the season. They made the playoffs for the first time since 2009, I believe.
2: 2010. 2010.
0: 2010 it it's been a long time. Yeah. Um, Honestly, I kind of feel like the Jazz are in trouble if the season were to end today because their first-round game would be against the Lakers. <laughs> They'd have to play LeBron and Anthony Davis in the first round. They'd have to play LeBron in the first round. Like, I, That's not something I'd wish on anybody. LeBron is, like, dominant in the first round of playoff series. So outside of the Jazz, honestly, the team that'd be in the most trouble... I would say it's the Nets because I know they'd be playing Boston. The Boston's got two guys who can score forty, and I don't think Brooklyn has the defense to keep up. Yeah. They they got they can score, they'll score yeah. enough, but they just gotta play defense. Suspect their defense is really suspect. I don't think DeAndre Jordan moves the needle on defense anymore. Um, James Harden, yeah. Kyrie Irving, yeah. yeah. Kevin Durant plays good defense, but we haven't really seen all of them play on the court at the same time, which is really difficult. It's really difficult to gauge the nets. We might get a Celtics-Wizards play-in game, and I'm taking the Wizards. I'm going to be straight up. Russell Westbrook's playing like the best point guard in the league, and Bradley Beal just continues to be one of the best scorers in the league. I would take the Wizards in that game because you just don't know what you're going to get from the Celtics. You don't know who's going to show up. Are you going to get the second coming of Paul Pierce and Jason Tatum scoring 40 points, Jalen Brown adding 20, Kimball Walker not turning into a ghost? Or are you going to get Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum colliding into each other on a play and injuring each other? You don't know what you're going to get from Marcus. Or Marcus Smart, <laughs> or Marcus Smart just being Marcus Smart. Eston, before we get out of here, I want to ask you what what team do you feel like would be in the most trouble if the playoffs were to start today?
1: Um, ooh, well, without being a little too down on them, I mean, if the Hornets somehow make the playoffs and they have to face the Sixers to start, oh,
0: the Philadelphia Death Machine,
1: God. I mean, that's a bad matchup for I, New Orleans.
0: Well, not New Orleans, but Charlotte.
1: Yeah, I I mean, Joel Embiid could just probably toss up alleys to himself by that point. Um, ben Simmons might actually be able to shoot a three-pointer in that series if they play each other. But in, in, all, in all seriousness, I think uh, the team that will probably face the most trouble is the Nets. And that's, again, assuming if the Celtics, if they, if they look like they, you know, if they play like they're capable of playing to their full potential, that's a really good series. But if they play, like y'all said, if they play like they're just kind of, I don't know, all over the place, um, that won't be pretty because, boy, howdy, when all those, when James Harden, Kyrie and KD are clicking for the Nets, uh, that that's scary. That is that is a scary is, side for any team. That's missing of the offense. On that's the offense, death, machine. death machine. Yes.
0: I'm gonna sound like a homer when I say this. Oh, yes. But a team that could be in trouble is the Milwaukee Bucks because they have to play Miami in the first round. Oh,
1: oh, Miami, Miami is. Anyway. Miami
0: has perennially <laughs> been the thorn in Milwaukee's side because Milwaukee gives up a lot of threes. Miami will shoot a lot of threes. Trevor Ariza in the Bulls game on Monday shot 12 threes. He shot four or 12 from three. I, I don't want him taking – Trevor Ariza? Three. Yes, Trevor Ariza, otherwise known as Trevor Curry. Um, If they get Tyler Hero, Kendrick Nunn back, and they can hit those threes, it might be a little scary for Milwaukee. Trevor Ariza isn't Jay Crowder, but Trevor Ariza has been a great pickup for them. Um, you don't know what Heat team you're going to get, though. You don't know who's going to show up, yeah. except for Bam and Jimmy. And that's where I think they're going to root their playoff hopes in. Bam Adebayo and Jimmy Butler. Bam Adebayo's been playing like defensive player of the year. I, I'm i not being a homer when I say this. He should win defensive player of the year. That's He's been able to guard one through five. He's guarded the elite of the elite. Just take the Brooklyn game. Kyrie Irving was 0 for 8 when guarded by Bam Adebayo. That's Kyrie Irving, one of the shiftiest ball handlers in NBA history, let alone currently in the NBA, and he was 0 for 8 when guarded by Bam. He do- what he does on the perimeter is something Rudy Gobert can't do, and I love Rudy Gobert, but God forbid he's on the perimeter against a guard. I don't want to see that. Jimmy Butler has been playing out of his mind. That'd be a tough series for Milwaukee because the Heat have the formula to beating Milwaukee. They've done it before, but you just don't know which Heat team you're going to get. It's kind of like the Bucks. The Heat have struggled with inconsistency, inconsistency excuse me, can't pronounce that word, because they just haven't been able to shoot. But the Bucks would be in a little bit of trouble. As we speak, Steph Curry dropped 41 on the New Orleans Pelicans. That play-in game, whoever gets the Warriors would get scorched earth Steph Curry, and I pray for them. Because Steph Curry won't let that team <laughs> lose.
2: Yeah, he's not. He, he really isn't. No way they're falling out of the play-in. Sorry, I, Sacramento. He's gonna get, Sorry, Corwin, you ain't getting in. Go, Curry he's gonna
1: He'll get takeover. <laughs>
0: he'll, yeah, he'll, <laughs> he'll get takeover. He, he got takeover on the whole game. Dog, um, I saw a play where he dribbled behind his back and shot a three from like near half court and it was nothing but net. And I'm just like, what are you supposed to do? How are you supposed to guard that? You just got that's a heat check shot, but it's not a heat check shot because it's Steph Curry. So the dude's amazing. I wouldn't be surprised if they scare some teams in the play-in. And if they were to make the playoffs, I don't think any team would want to see them because they have that guy. But that's gonna do it for this episode of oh gosh. You press play. Uh make sure to give us five stars. Make sure to like and subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Give us five stars. If you don't give us five stars, you're gonna make us sad. You see Eston's face right there. You don't want to make him sad, bro. Then you'll have to, you'll get me and Richard on you. You don't want to make him sad. You mess with him. You mess with all of us. Um, from, from photo editor Eston Parker, sports editor Richard Pereira, I am business manager Joseph Acosta wishing you a great rest of your day.